Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And for those of you who have liked my rants in the past, um, you're in for for another one. Um, I sometimes will be so outraged by something going on in the news that uh, I spend a whole hour um, ranting about it. And today, um, I am going to be ranting about the two Missouri boys who, in my opinion, have been kidnapped again, this time by their parents, by the media, by the prosecutors, and by us. Now, what do I mean by that? I know this is a uh, politically incorrect uh, opinion. Um, and one that you will not pretty much, uh, you will not hear in the mainstream media. Pretty much the only person who I have heard besides myself talking like this is Bill O'Reilly, who has, uh, caught a lot of flack for it. I want to preface this, um, by saying that I am certainly not blaming Sean Hornbeck or Ben Ownby for, um, anything that they did or didn't do while they were being held captive by 41-year-old Michael Devlin, uh, Ben Ownby for four days, Sean Hornbeck for four over four years, four years and uh, almost four and a half years. Um, I'm not blaming them, and uh, I am certainly not suggesting that any child ever wants to be sexually abused, and it certainly does seem likely from what we have um, heard so far that the alleged captor also allegedly um, sexually abused them. Now, um, why do I say that they have been kidnapped again? Really what I mean is not physically but mentally. And what I mean by that is that these boys, uh, while everyone gives lip service, including their parents, to the concept that they should not be asked about what happened, that they are supposed to be able to tell what happened um, at their own pace as they want to talk about it. But in fact, they're being paraded in the media, and the boys and um, the parents, and they are all but um, saying, I mean, people are saying it for them. And what is happening is that I think that these boys are being sold um, a line, an opinion, a, uh, a theories by their parents, by media commentators, um, probably also by the prosecutors, if not yet, then soon, as to what happened to them and why they didn't escape. When in fact, the real story may be quite different than what we all seem to want to believe, 
And by not allowing them, to the boys, to tell their story in their own time, but by feeding them what we want, i.e., that they were terrified, that they were threatened, that they had uh, Stockholm Syndrome, etc., they would never be able to say, or we're making it extremely, extremely hard for them to say, what really went on because they don't want to live to lose their parents' love. And I'll be uh, I'll be um, elucidating on what I'm putting out there for you now as the hour goes on. But um, what really should be happening, and so far from everything that I have watched and read and and been able to find, um, I do not think that Sean and Ben have been put in intensive psychotherapy with a psychiatrist as they should be at this point. Um, the, The references to whatever help they're getting um, for for Sean there's been a reference to um, the parents having spoken with child advocates and uh, they will get therapy for him when he starts to talk about it and it becomes clear what kind of therapist he needs I mean hello <laughs> that's the most outrageous um Comment, you know, he needs to be in therapy. He needs to have been in therapy uh, from the day he was found. And um, similarly with Ben, I mean, obviously Ben was captured for, abducted for four days, and obviously that's not as bad as over four years, but it's still incredibly traumatic, especially with what he probably endured during those four days. Um, and he too, you know, there's been there's been very vague references, and and in fact, there have been things said by Ben's parents, like we don't ever want to talk about the name Devlin uh, in front of in front of Ben, the, you know, the name of the alleged kidnapper. Now, um, perhaps the parents, you know, that that's up to the parents whether they want to mention it or not. Although. You know, I mean, what do you mean that they haven't mentioned the name? They've done everything else. You know, they've gone on Oprah. They've gone, done other media interviews. So just because they may not, you know, use the man's name, it's still out there. Um, and, in fact, it's really up to the therapist, to to a therapist, um, to be talking about the name and, and, and um creating a safe home in the therapist's office uh, for where the boys can gradually feel comfortable to talk about this because how could they possibly tell their parents that there was a part of them, particularly in regard to Sean, that there was a part of them that could have escaped, could have gotten back to them, but didn't for their own personal reasons. And I'm going to go into what some of those reasons may well have been. But the parents are making it impossible for them to actually tell these tr- this truth or whatever it is, whatever these reasons are, to actually even discover the reasons for themselves, many of which they most likely do not have a clue about. That's what therapy is about. But to whatever extent they do have a clue, they would be terrified now. What they're really terrified of now is losing their parents' love because um, this is a Missouri miracle, of course, and the newspapers and everybody has been talking about not only what a miracle, but the smiles that they've been seeing on the boys. Well, you know, I don't know what press conferences um, the media has been at who have been talking about the smiles. Yes, um, 
you know, there were there were random smiles, and yes, of course, um, you know, we only see what what clips um, the various uh, TV outlets put choose to show on the screen. So we're not seeing the whole press conference. But nonetheless, uh, but what I what I have seen in regard to the press conferences that occurred right after the children were found were um, boys who may have smiled once or twice or three times, but who looked incredibly pained and in agony. Now, what were they in agony about? You know, what secrets were they hiding? What secrets is it make? Is it becoming more and more difficult to tell? Um, what's all, what also was interesting about the press conferences was that for both of the boys, you know, and they were separate press conferences, both of the boys were on the outskirts. If you look at the body language and you look at the way that the family was standing, both Ben and Sean were on the outside of their family. Um, Sean's parents, you know, uh, took the podium and he was... He was always on the outside of his mother and his father. Same thing with Ben. He was on the outside of his mother, his father, and his sister. Now, that, you know, that, that's why was that? There has to be a psychological reason for that. Um, you know, does, does it represent some kind of feeling of exclusion that these boys had felt before they were abducted? Does it represent the boys situating themselves on the outside because, um, because they are carrying secrets that they don't feel comfortable talking to their family about, a lot of guilt for not having escaped? Obviously, you know, I have not examined these boys. Um, I do not purport to be able to tell you all of these secrets. However, I will be suggesting to you some possibilities. But... Um, all of these things need to be looked at. The public seems to want, not the, the, the parents, the media, the, the prosecutors, as I said, and we, the public, seem to want to just look at this in sort of a one-dimensional way, the Missouri miracles. Um, we want the parents to be the good guys. And I'm not saying, you know, that just because they had their children abducted, they're now supposed to be uh, as knowledgeable as psychiatrists in how to be sensitive and how to act towards their children, but they certainly should know that they need to get their children in the hands of a professional psychiatrist in intensive therapy. I'm talking about hours a day, um, you know, as much as really sort of marathon sessions as, as lo- at least one hour a day and, and really as long as the boys are able to tolerate or want. Um, and that may start with, you know, that may first uh, be just playing games with the therapist, you know, just getting comfortable with the therapist. But for however many hours that the boys are able to tolerate that a day, and the parents certainly should know uh, enough or have been told enough to do that. Um, one of the things that uh, soon after this event occurred, soon after the boys were returned to their parents, uh, I was on Fox News uh, Radio and then Fox News Television and then uh, more recently Court TV. But from the very beginning, Fox News Radio, right away, um, I started talking about, in a very, as the uh, host said, you know, um, uh, commented on how politically incorrect I was. But right away, I was talking about how 
I think that the secret to why uh, Sean did not come forward, did not contact his parents, although he had during those four-plus years, um, many opportunities to come forward, that I thought that the secret or the psychological reason lay in his relationship to his biological father and lo and his stepfather. And lo and behold, it has just come out recently um, that Sean Hornbeck's biological father was, in fact, a child molester. His father, who was named Walter Hornbeck, who is now deceased, um, was arrested for uh, child molestation and was um, sentenced to seven years in state prison in 1994, but he actually served three years. Now, I'll be telling, talking to you a little bit more about this. And, uh, I mean, when you think about it, that Sean Hornbeck's na- name, his last name, um, he carries the name of his biological father who was a child molester. And lo and behold, what happens, you know, at 11 years old, he gets abducted by a child molester. Coincidence? I don't think so. Stay tuned as you uh, listen to more of Dr. Carroll's politically incorrect rant on Dr. Carroll's couch. You're listening to uh, the show on voiceamerica.com, so stay tuned. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on voiceamerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on voiceamerica.com. What does it take to get your business online? How do you leverage the Internet to attract more clients, expand your network, and make more money? What are the tools you need to master? It's not enough to know the tools. You need to build a solid foundation and actually implement systems that automate your business as much as possible. On Blogging and Beyond with Denise Wakeman and Patsy Krakoff, the Blog Squad, learn about new tools that are easy and essential to use in order to grow your business online. Get strategies, tactics, and tips that work if you implement them. Denise and Patsy interview internet marketing experts, plus coach a client in real time through the steps designed to market a real product or service. Blogging and Beyond with Denise Wakeman and Patsy Krakoff broadcasts each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Blogging and Beyond, leverage the internet to attract, sell, and profit online. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
talking today about uh, the tragedy of Sean Hornbeck and Ben Ongby. Sean Hornbeck, the boy who was abducted at 11 years old and now found at 15. Ben Ongby, abducted for four days recently, and he is 13 years old. Um, calling it a tragedy because of uh, my opinion that indeed these boys have not only been traumatized by uh, their having been abducted and most likely sexually abused, but also re-traumatized by their parents' insensitivity to their need for more intensive psychotherapy, immediate psychotherapy. That means uh, days ago when the boys were first found and um, instead they're being paraded um, on television and uh, and um, really being asked to go along, asked to collude with their parents' version of the um, of what happened during their abduction. Now, um, again, let me reiterate that I am not blaming the boys for not coming forward during their. Uh, the time that they were abducted, nor am I saying that any child wants to be sexually abused. However, I'm trying really to get um, their parents to recognize that being home is not enough. Um, they need, the boys need a chance to tell the story of what really happened there. Um, let's talk about why it is. You know, everybody wants to know why it is, especially Sean, who was held for over four years, why he didn't uh, make contact with his parents. Now, you know, it is really, um, it really strains belief um, to think that there is not some degree of volition, some degree of his voluntarily having gone along with his kidnapper, Michael Devlin. Now, um, what the parents are saying and, and most commentators are saying, because we don't want to handle this, you know, it has to do with the public and, and um, well, the public not wanting to believe that a boy, you know, a typical American boy could be kidnapped and actually decide, consciously or unconsciously, to not contact his parents or the authorities and say that he was abducted and try to get help to return home. We don't want to believe that. We don't want to think that there could be a reason, notably something in the family, uh, particularly of Sean, that was occurring that led him to go along with his kidnapper, at least at some point, um, decide to not come to the authorities or call his parents. Now, this is a boy remember, who um, had had a cell phone. Now, I'm not saying, okay, he was kidnapped at 11 years old. Perhaps when he was 11 years old and 12 years old, um, Devlin did have, especially because he was abducted, you know, and, and there are reports that it might have been uh, that Devlin might have used a gun to abduct him. And, you know, um, certainly he could well have been threatened. His own life could have been threatened. The life of his family could have been threatened. Absolutely. But when he got to be 14, 15, um, there is no way that it is psychologically believable that um, there was not some degree of his deciding to stay there. Now, his parents and Oprah and other people, other um, media people, uh, have said that it was because he was threatened 
um, in this way, either with force. And, and yes, it is possible. Another aspect of this could be that if it is true that Devlin is involved or was involved with kidnapping other children, you know, who are still missing, um, if, if, and it's a big if, but it's certainly possible that he did kidnap others before Sean, that Sean may have seen Devlin um, killing another child, in which case he would have been more um, frightened uh, to, to uh, go against Devlin. But we don't know that. There's also, it's also possible that the reason why he didn't um, contact anyone sooner, escape sooner, was because he had been sexually abused and he was ashamed of the sexual acts that he participated in. He didn't want the world to know or any of his family to know. Um, the world knows now, of course, uh, with the parents having said that on Oprah National Television, that they think that he was sexually abused, which is every teen's, every teen boy's worst nightmare. But in any case, he could have decided that he, he um, again, consciously or unconsciously, did not want uh, his family or people to know that he had participated in these sexual acts. He could have become devoted or felt sorry for his, his kidnapper, um, as in the Stockholm Syndrome. The Stockholm Syndrome is named after uh, an incident that happened in Stockholm, Sweden, where a bank robber held some bank employees captive, and um, this was in 1973, and the the, the, um, bank employees, once this was over, they became emotionally attached to their to the bank robber, and when it was over, um, they defended the bank robber. They didn't want to testify against him. But you know that was in 1973. Um, it, that's very different from the situation that we have here, and that was a much more time limited situation. Sean was kidnapped for over four years. Um, they were. Uh, they were not allowed to leave. They weren't allowed to ride their bike out of the bank. Um, another person who, you know, another case that's cited as a typical Stockholm Syndrome was the Patty Hearst case, um, but that was in 1979. Um, uh, or, I'm sorry, that was in, well, also the 1970s. Um, and again, I mean that was years ago before she wasn't she wasn't playing video games she wasn't um uh, she she didn't have as much freedom um there were all kinds of other uh situations her falling in love with one of the people i mean of course that you know could be cited as part of stockholm syndrome but but in any case it's very the, the situations that are the the classic stockholm situa- syndrome situations are very different from what we have with Sean Hornbeck. Um, perhaps, uh, as I suggested from the very beginning, he there was a part of him that didn't want to return to his parents' home because he had been unhappy there. Um, and again, I had suggested at the very beginning that this unhappiness may well have had to do with his biological father and his... Um, his stepfather, his stepfather having taken over the place, replaced his biological father. And um, when you think about the freedom that Sean had, he was allowed to, not only was there a telephone in the house that he shared with Devlin, but he at some point got his own cell phone. He was allowed to ride his bike all over the place. 
Um, he was allowed to go on the Internet. He was allowed to play with friends. There have been at least three to four instances cited where police picked him up for being out um, after curfew. And in at least one or two of these instances, he was brought home in a police car, you know, so that indeed if he had told police who he was, he would have been protected right then and there. Um there have been there were there were just these these um numerous days and ways that he would have uh been able to contact them in fact there was even a story about how um soon after he was abducted that his bike was stolen and he told police his bike was stolen i mean <laughs> you know he didn't tell police that he was stolen but he talked about his bike um all of these things really do have to make one wonder. He told people that his mother died in a car crash uh, due to a drunk driver. Now, you know, that may have been something that Michael Devlin told him to say, that particular story. But if not, if he made it up, then it's a very um, hostile kind of commentary towards his mother. Uh, and I know you people out there, a lot of you are probably, some of you are probably saying, yay, finally somebody is talking something that makes sense, you know, some sanity, not whitewashing it. But some of others of you are probably saying, what is she talking about? You know, why are you saying something bad about Sean's parents who made this foundation and devoted their life to uh, uh, helping other missing children be returned? And, of course, that's wonderful. What I'm trying to say is, that these boys need to have the opportunity to to talk about all of these unconscious underlying um, other issues, other factors, because to just have them force them to to believe and and to say that it was just that he was terrified, it was Stockholm syndrome, and and not to admit um, that he feels guilty about not having escaped um, would cause irreparable damage to particularly Sean to the point of at some point not only causing him depression um, but at some point causing him to even uh, think of or becoming suicidal because he's unable because the people don't his parents and, and the rest of the world don't want to accept that there could be more gray areas to his story that it's not just that Devlin is an evildoer and a monster, and I'm not saying that someone who is a child molester, you know, certainly, uh, deserve, I'm, I'm not saying that they don't deserve to be punished and, and get the um, appropriate appropriate jail punishment, you know, sentence. Um, but I'm just saying that, that there is more to the story, that it's not black and white. Because think of it, in a sense, he was living the life of Pinocchio on Pleasure Island. He didn't have to go to school. He didn't have to work. He was able to play video games all day. He was able to ride his bike. He was able to um, drive a pickup. He was being taught to drive. That's another thing. Obviously, Devlin uh, was not worried. That's This is really a key that I haven't heard anybody talk about. Obviously, Michael Devlin, the kidnapper, he himself was not worried that Sean was going to escape 
Because if if he was if he had been worried, he would not have given him a cell phone or access to a phone and he or a bicycle, and um, he would not have been teaching him to drive. He could have just driven to his parents' home. I mean, obviously, you know, Devlin did not want to go to jail, presumably, and um, and. If he gave uh, Sean all of these freedoms, he himself must have been convinced that Sean was not going to leave. Sean uh, also had, you know, spent his days eating fast food, going to the cinema, going to the mall, skateboarding, um, playing football, building a tent with Devlin in front of their their um, apartment complex, and on and on. He had a friend, a best friend. He had a girlfriend, a recent development. He developed a, a girlfriend, which is also largely why um, part of why uh, Devlin was finding another boy to replace him. He was getting too old, and also he was getting a girlfriend. But you got to look at these things, folks. And 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 uh, not that this wasn't torture for the boy. You know, besides being on Pleasure Island, it wasn't a pleasure for him to be sexually abused, uh, as he undoubtedly or most likely was during this whole time. But come on, let's let's see the whole picture here, and not just say, uh, you know, not just see it. Uh, the way we want to see it because we don't want to think about the possibility of a boy not returning home to his parents. So stay tuned. This is your politically incorrect psychiatrist, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood jet set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with 
easy-to-understand tools and tips. With his weekly guest, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking to you today about the two boys in Missouri who were returned home to their parents and whose parents um, I implore to get, uh, have them bring them into a psychiatrist's office for intensive psychotherapy instead of uh, continuing to try to uh, coerce in a sense. And I'm not saying that the parents are doing this intentionally, but but um, perhaps and, and they don't realize what... Um, you know, I think it's a combination, quite frankly, of one that they don't realize how um, they're telling the world that it, that the boys stayed because they were threatened, or particularly Sean, I'm talking about, um, uh, etc. That uh, that they don't realize how well, the message that they're giving to the boys, and the message is, don't tell us that you could have escaped and contacted us, and you chose not to. Don't tell us that. And that's the same message that these boys are going to be getting from the prosecutors, too, who want to get the most um, severe sentence possible for Michael Devlin, the 41-year-old alleged kidnapper. So the boys are, are, that message is coming through loud and clear. Hey, guys, um, you know, uh that's you 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 were threatened right right you know tell us about how you were threatened and to the extent that there was some volition some conscious or unconscious decision that um Ben and of course even over a longer period of time Sean made to not um leave to not be found they will feel incredibly guilty and incredibly fearful of losing their parents' love. They will not be able to, to present the gray areas, you know, their confusion. Um, because obviously, to whatever extent they did consciously or unconsciously choose to stay there, it's not their fault because what that shows is that there were things going on in their home, in their childhood beforehand, that would make it seem... Um, better in some ways um, for them to stay with this uh, kidnapper and likely sex abuser. Now, I promised I was going to um, tell you more about Walter Hornbeck, who is the biological father of Sean Hornbeck. Um, he is a con- the, fa- the biological father who is now deceased. He died uh, on July 9, 2000, while he was on parole from having been convicted as a sex offender. He spent three years in a Missouri prison on drug and sodomy charges. Um, And he um, was six years old when Sean was born to 
him and to his wife, Pamela, now called Akers, you know, Pamela Akers, um, married to the stepfather, Craig Akers. Um, now, Pamela is saying that Walter Hornbeck, uh, Sean's biological father, had very little contact with Sean. Of course, we don't know how true that is. Is it possible that Sean um, was sexually abused by his biological father? Um, Pam states or has stated so far that um, she kicked her husband, Walter Hornbeck, out of the house when Sean was, I don't know, some reports say six months old and other reports say 12 months old, um, and they divorced in 1992, about a year after Sean was born. Hornbeck, the biological father, was arrested in Washington County near St. Louis in 1992, and he was charged with rape, although it is still unclear who his victim was. Most of the record has been sealed. Uh, however, a court official has disclosed that going by the reference number on the conviction, it indicates that this assault was on a minor. Now, what's also interesting, and there you know, is very little information on this so far, but at the time of his arrest, Sean's biological father was living with Sean's older sisters, who were seven and six years old. Now, here is this child molester convicted, this man who then becomes convicted of child molestation, living um, with his daughters, seven and six years old. Now, you know, I, I certainly don't know and um, wouldn't say that he had molested his daughters. I mean, it certainly could have been anybody. However, one wonders why he was allowed to live with these daughters and who the mother of these daughters were what was was it is it Pam Akers I mean no other mother has been mentioned so far and did she not for whatever reason if it, if it was Pamela Sean's mother and she divorced him and these were her daughters did she not see maybe not maybe she didn't recognize a child molester but did she not see enough that would disturb her to not allow him to live with the two sisters, seven and six years old, why weren't they living with her? Now, I don't know that they are her daughters. They could have been um, daughters between um, Walter Hornbeck and another woman. There's no, I have not been able to find information about that yet. But it just certainly brings up all these questions. And um, Walter Hornbeck pleaded guilty to attempted sodomy as well as possession of a controlled substance, and he was sentenced to seven years in state prison in 1994. He got out in 1997 when Sean was six years old, but Pamela Akers is is stating still that um, he did not have contact with his son, Sean. Now, um, Pamela married Sean's stepdad, Craig Akers, in 1999, and then uh, they didn't want to discuss the matter anymore, basically. Um, now, also, out of the, uh, out of the blue, um, appears Sean's half-brother, Ted Hornbeck, who met uh, Sean for the first time just recently. Um, now, why the parents allowed... Uh, how that came about, you know, it, it, Sean isn't being traumatized enough that now he has to meet his half-brother who he 
apparently has never met before. And on top of that, um, the half-brother told him that their troubled dad was a survivor. He said, my father did whatever he had to do to get by. You know, not, not that that's so unusual. I mean, obviously he's feeling sympathetic um, towards his father, and, you know, there's obviously a, a story there. Perhaps um, his father had been sexually abused when he was a child. Who knows? But the point is that Sean did not need to have this additional trauma of meeting the half-brother, um, all, you know, all these things happening right now, when in fact he should be spending his days in a psychiatrist's office rather than, you know, being confronted with all this new information. However, you know, the, the, um, what the half-brother said is really very interesting because that, in a sense, shed some light. I mean, that relates to um, the the sort of more profound um, psychological implication of Sean having had a father who was a child molester. Whether or not, you know, obviously if, if Sean's father, biological father, was able to see Sean well, he saw him, he was with him for at least six months, but, you know, I don't, I, it's kind of an awful thought to imagine uh, him sexually molesting his child in the first six months, but but, you know, perhaps he saw him after that and, and didn't molest him or, or not. Um, the point is that, that, um, Sean would have, whether the father, the biological father molested him or not, certainly Sean, who, um, was, was six when his father got out of prison. I mean, he certainly would have known that his father, his biological father, would have been in prison for child molestation. And perhaps he might well have felt comfortable. I mean, again, I'm not saying that he wanted to be molested, but um, there was a kind of deep uh, familiarity that he may well have felt in being with Devlin, who presumably was a child molester. In fact, um, there may well have been some resentment from Sean towards his mother and his stepfather for not allowing him to spend more time with, maybe, you know, obviously supervised time, but some time with his biological father. I mean, that would be the normal thing. Children do want to see their biological parents when they have step-parents. It's just, you know, it's just the normal psychology of children. And if they are not allowed to see them, they become resentful towards their parents, even though, yes, you know, they, they theoretically had a good reason. You know, your father, your biological father is a child molester. I mean, they may not have said that to him directly, but um, certainly he would have overheard overheard conversations. I mean, he knew what the story was with his biological father. And uh, certainly they could have allowed him to see him in supervised visits. And it may well have been, that may well have been the key as to why Sean, um, you know, wanted to see how much his parents missed him, his, his uh, mother and stepfather wanted to get back at them for not having allowed them to be with his father and may, in fact, have um, seen Devlin as a kind of, well, he called him dad, and seen him as a kind of father figure and a way to get back at these parents for not letting him spend some time or even see his biological father. All of these, you know, I haven't treated Sean. I would love to. I'd love to come in and rescue him, quite frankly. But um, 
all of these things are conjecture. I'm putting it out there because, you know, somebody needs to give this boy a chance to realize that um, if he's having any of these feelings, he is not to blame. It's not bad. These are normal psychological possibilities. Um, and and he is not to be blamed for any of this, but he is allowed, he should be allowed to speak his truth. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Uh, I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. This hour is going very quickly. <laughs> Stay tuned. The Authority and Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, echopreneur, author, and green living maven, brings you an upbeat, fun exploration of the doables of living a more earth-friendly life. Kim cuts through the noise and urban myth of green do's and don'ts and shows that it is possible to live green easily. From hip organic weddings to exotic echo travel to healthy personal care products, get the most current trends and tips from the experts for living a more planet-friendly and human lifestyle. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, broadcast each Thursday at New Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Living the Green Life for a human, healthy, and planet-friendly lifestyle. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guest, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Muscular Development presents No Bull Radio, bringing you the latest news, gossip, and controversy from the world of bodybuilding. Uncensored, uncompromised, and unrestrained in true MD style. Hosted by the infamous muscle mob, Larry Pepe, John Romano, and Dave Palumbo. Welcome top IFBB professional bodybuilders, industry insiders, and characters you won't find anywhere else every week. No Bull Radio broadcasts each Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. If you've ever wondered what the Stern Show would sound like if Howard was a bodybuilding fan, then tune in and find out. Noble Radio, uncensored, uncompromised, unrestrained. Whether by choice or by circumstance, the statistics of the effects of missing fathers and the impact of our children, our neighborhoods, and our communities is staggering. How can we interrupt this pattern of violence, gang activity, drug use, and sexual activity among our fatherless children? On Changing a Generation with author, inspirational speaker, life coach, and host Terrence Wilson, the focus is on elevating the mindset of this current generation by unveiling viewpoints and inspire people to reach their dreams. Terrence and his guests reveal how Bill Building family relationships, becoming an entrepreneur, and living a Christian life develops future leaders in the next generation of children. Changing a Generation with Terrence Wilson broadcasts each Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Changing a Generation, bringing a message of deliverance to the fatherless. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today about the kidnapping, the second kidnapping of the Missouri, the two Missouri boys. And by that, I'm referring to the kidnapping of their minds by their parents, the prosecutors, the media, and us, who want to just see this in sound bites, want to believe that um, it's a simple matter of uh, Michael Devlin, the alleged kidnapper, being an evildoer, and poor Sean um, being unable to escape. Now, I say poor Sean, but not for his being unable to escape, but for his being re-traumatized now by parents um, and prosecutors and media and us who want him to just say that uh, he couldn't escape. You know, yes, he had a phone. Yes, he was in a police car. Um, yes, he had lots of contact with the police. Uh, yes, he left a message on his parents' uh, foundation um, Internet site. Uh, but but uh, he was still being held against his will. Yet... Yes, he was being taught to drive by Devlin. I mean, he, he was living approximately 50 or 60 miles away from his home. Um, it really wouldn't have taken much to drive. And that, that fact that Devlin obviously wasn't worried that um, Sean could escape, could call somebody, could call the police and put him in jail. Devlin was not really worried about that. Um, why? And as I was suggesting today, you know, the, the answer is very complex, much more complex than you can get in sound bites. I'm only beginning to touch on some of the things today. I mean, really, I could talk about this for hours. It's one of the uh, benefits of um, having an hour to talk to you about uh, psychological issues. Um, but I'm just even really scratching the surface. I'm trying to talk about the highlights and some of the most important things and the things that you will absolutely not hear um, <laughs> on uh, on television because most um, therapists are uh, do not want to say the politically incorrect things. But I, I give credit to Fox and Court TV um, for having me on talking about um, some of these issues. Um, what I'm concerned about, again, is they're not getting enough help, enough, uh, immediate enough help and enough time in a psychiatrist's office to talk about, to, to discover for themselves, uh, to get, to, to look at, at their own pace, to look into their unconscious and figure out for themselves all of the complex reasons why they did not escape, particularly Sean in his four plus years. Um, but Ben, too, you know, you have to, he, Ben was 13 and, and he was only kidnapped for four days, but still, they had a phone in the house. Why didn't Ben, a straight-A student, a, a Boy Scout, <laughs> be prepared? Why didn't he do it? Now, um, with Sean there, to he could have, you know, helped him, coached him. Um, what did Sean say to him about being with Devlin? You know, all of that is still not going to come out, and I has not come out, and I'm afraid that it's not going to come out if we don't give these boys the the signal that it is okay. Whatever happened, it was not their fault. Uh, if they were sexually abused, it was not their fault. If they didn't call anyone and didn't escape, it was not their fault. 
because whatever the profound, complicated psychological reasons were for why they didn't, it's not because they were bad boys. It's because of things that, that had occurred in their childhood up until then that had made them um, not choose to do that uh, or not be able to do that. And the the messages that they're getting that, um, you know, it had to have been because they were threatened with their life or they were threatened that their family's life would be in danger or they were threatened with a weapon or Stockholm Syndrome or, you know, um, I don't know that Stockholm Syndrome um, works as well in 2006 as it did in 1973, not when we have all these technological advances like cell phones um, and not when people are able to roam freely. You know, we want to think that. But the main message is that that to not make these boys feel shamed again. You know, not only would they be feeling shame if they were sexually abused, but we're making them, the parents particularly, inadvertently, I'm not, I'm not saying the parents are doing this on purpose, but somebody should have been um, telling them, uh, and I'm hoping to, to reach them um, through this broadcast um, and through getting the word out. And if anybody is listening to this who uh, does have contact with the parents, um, I will be trying to reach them myself, but and in fact I have already, um, but... I have already made um, beginning attempts to reach them, but um, somebody needs to get that message across to them that um, they are making it inadvertently, making it harder for their children to come across, to, to be able to, to feel like they can speak freely, that they can dig into themselves, into their own minds and figure it out for themselves because they are feeling like they have to say the party line. And, you know, look at the prosecutors. What are they going to want them to say? They're going to want them to, to um, they're going to want to hear the worst um uh, kinds of stories in regard to what Devlin did to them to make them stay. And so it's going to be very tempting for the boys to exaggerate um, to themselves, you know, perhaps even lying to themselves uh, as to what Devlin did that made it impossible for them to call for help. Um, you know, some of the things that uh, that were interesting in regard to the Oprah show that the parents were on, um, and, you know, I, I, I have a lot of respect for Oprah. She is, um, she is someone who is trying to bring spirituality to television, which, you know, most, which is a rare, um, and much needed, um, occurrence. You know, we need more people to be doing shows like she does. She's, she's a very sensitive person. I, I would like to think that it wasn't that, that it was just a matter of her getting some bad advice in regard to um, putting Sean on her show. He, he was, you know, he looked like when he was actually there in the audience, he looked like he wanted to be anywhere else in the world but there. Um, his when he when he uh, it, it was it was just painful to watch. Um, he just, you know, he, he was like a turtle trying to sort of put his head into his, inside his shirt collar, you know, to, to, to just not be there. Even though the audience was giving him a standing ovation, he just wanted to be anywhere else. Um, and then when uh, his parents decided not to uh, bring him out, either on stage or in the audience, and the audience clapped, which, you know, was a, was a sign that uh, clapped for the parents that they had decided not to expose Ben to this, 
which of course must have made, you know, um, well, if Sean was on during that segment, and I'm not sure if he was still in the audience then, but, um, you know, of course that makes him wonder about his parents. I mean, all, there are all of these minefields that that people need to be sensitive to. And, again, I've given you sort of the highlights. I hope I've given you things to think about. Um, and I'm not blaming the boys. I'm not saying that any child wants to be sexually abused. I'm saying give these boys a fighting chance. Give them the ability to discover for themselves in therapy, individual therapy and then in family therapy, what really happened and give them the, the respect to be able to tell the truth and uh, not to be blamed for it but to still be loved even if they are telling the truth that might be some things that, that their parents and the rest of us find it hard to hear. So, <laughs> obviously you can, you can tell this is something that I feel very passionate about. I'm very concerned for the boys and um, I hope also that... Uh, that you can see that these issues are not black and white at all. They're very complex, a lot of minefields. And I hope that if you're dealing with something similar or um, certainly, you know, that you will just look uh, look at life and realize that it's a lot more complex. It's not just black and white. Thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.